Hello, I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm in my garden in London, and I'm walking down the garden path to the music room. In there, I'll find my husband, the composer and conductor, Stephen Barlow. Now, we've been married almost 40 years, and I think, however long you've been with someone, you have questions that you'd like to ask your partner. So this podcast is my chance to ask Stephen the questions I've always wanted to ask him about one of his and my greatest passions, classical music. Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this episode, this podcast, which is one of our most special because it's the first time we've had a live guest. And then we've got Sean Rafferty here. That's I'm not your dog. I'm already wondering whether this is why. <laughs> Sean, is this that yap yap dog? That's not yours. I brought the dog along because you thought the diversion might be necessary. <laughs> it's got a bit tricky. <laughs> Sure, Dogs you, always uh, appear in music. So I, I did a programme from Alborough once, and there was a, what looked like, turned out to be a gentleman tramp sitting in the front row with a dog, and <laughs> they said we could remove him, and I said, no, 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 they seem very happy. Then I saw him later outside, and he came up and said, I'm so sorry about leaving. I said, absolutely, quite honest. And he said, the thing is, the dog's teeth were chattering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I've never seen a sign actually at a concert hall. <laughs> No dogs. no dogs. No, no. But they're not no. very welcome, apparently. No, of course they're not. Loves that. It'd be horrible for them. <laughs> you know this room well, don't you? I do, and it's very nice it is to be here. I heard music here and sat being entertained by you. It's a wonderful space. Well, I tell you what, we are so entertained by you because, I mean, everybody who's listening to this knows anyway, but In Tune is your own baby. When did it start? Well, it wasn't. I think it started where I came here. It was a quarter of a century ago. Yes, it was <laughs> intermittent with various people and... I think I was asked, because I was doing sort of television and radio news in, in Northern Ireland, and some <laughs> arts programmes, obviously, and they rang and said, oh, we'd like you to do it occasionally. So every now and again, it came from the regions. Now, one day, I think Nicholas Kenyon rang me and said, I wonder if you'd be interested in doing it all the time. And I thought he was asking everybody, so I never rang back. <laughs> so about 10 days later, I must have seemed terribly cool where I wasn't. And, and he said, we'd really didn't know, know if you're interested. And I thought, oh, my God, they're serious. So how did music get into your life in the first place? My mother played the piano. My father was involved in the local amateur operatic society, which was actually incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. Where it wasn't very good. This was in Northern Ireland, Newcastle County Down, mm. where the mountains of Mourne sweep down to the sea. Yes. It's a famous Percy French song. Yes. But it is very, very beautiful. And I don't know, music was, you know, it was a very good choir, and I just sort of adored it. Do you think Despite that... being put off by the nuns, who used to have a very long pencil, like trying to do piano, which had a very, very long coloured pencil, and occasionally I got a wrong note, it would just go. Oh, ow, 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 ow. Ow. Bang you on the knuckle. So you learnt the piano? Just. <laughs> <laughs> Can you elaborate a little? How <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want to hear me play. No, well, look, the no. piano's right here. I know it is. No, don't. I, I, there's a long way between me and performance. <laughs> so you learnt the piano, but nothing else. Did you sing too? There was a gent, I think, had, had a dose of the vapours, had been in the Covent Garden chorus, and he came back to live in the town, so I sent for singing lessons. Wow. Trying to breathe properly. Mm. Oh. And that was quite nice. Mm. Know, five, six, seven. A oh, little boy. You see, my experience in both Belfast and uh, Dublin is that there are music colleges there and they're incredibly highly rated and venerated music teachers yeah. in both cities. It always struck me as a very musical society. And one hears endlessly of 
brass bands in Northern Ireland. That's true, isn't it? I'm glad I don't hear endless brass bands, but I mean, lovely though they are. <laughs> I suppose there are, well, there, there, there are a lot of tribal brass bands too, of course. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it's, and pipes. And pipes and, and pipes. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot, yeah. lot of that. And playing in small groups too, in pubs and things like that. There's oh, well, that's always, every, that's that's always, always gone on. And there's been that, yeah, in Ireland, there's always that sense of improvisation and... You know, I remember I spent some summers down in Strangford Lock and there was a wonderful sort of pub where everybody went after us. There was a tiny room, you opened the door and it was just bursting with music. There were only three or four people playing away and anyone who was any good would maybe drift in and join them. Yeah. And the terrific liberal sort of behaviour was wonderful. Musically, it was, one, was wonderful. And this is the same today, really, isn't it? Or, or and is I it... think the bar lines, I'm sure you know better than me, people don't quite see things as rigidly. I mean, West Cork Chamber Music yeah. Festival a few years ago, he went into what is a nice lockdown. When you go into a pub and they lock the door so <laughs> nobody can get in or out and the nice police can't come in. I remember and that And the traditional well. musicians in the back room and the Danish quartet joined them and they jammed together. Wow. And it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Is there something about Ireland, and I mean the, the entire island of Ireland, that is much more arts-oriented? Because I've noticed that it's quite normal in pubs for people to quote, do literary quotes or poetry. I've been asked when I'm over there, can you recite something or say something? Mm. It seems completely normal in a way that maybe in this country we would have somebody at the old piano and they would sing out, my old man said, follow the van. But over there it seems to be kind of intrinsic. Everybody seems to be connected to the arts. Well, I hope so. I hope it is still the same. You know, as they, there used to be a lot more in the country. I mean, I've you know, been spending a lot of time in Donegal for the last 30 years, really. In the old days there would be what people call calling, not just not being dancing, I mean, people going out at night to call on people mm. and there might be a bit of music going on. And then, of course, what happened was television took over yeah, and people yeah. would stay for a bit of passive entertainment, you know. That dealt a bit of a blow to that sort of stream of people who would go somewhere and they wouldn't just sit and talk. They would Somebody would maybe do a little recitation or somebody would sing or yeah. it might be that, a dance. That's something I, I remember from my times in Dublin doing an opera, and after an opera in Dublin, in those old days with Dublin Grand Opera Society, you'd go to Seamus's house, and there'd be food and a small barrel of Guinness, you know, in the kitchen. And at some stage, somebody would simply stand up mm -hmm. and say, now, I'm going to sing you a song. And then it would be passed around. And, and it was a mixture of, of speech and music, instrumental. Um, <laughs> Good and bad. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but, but it kind of, I've never kind of minded that because I remember when I was a chorister at Chelmsford Cathedral, when I was seven, I did two years there, and I remember the quality of commitment to the music was second to none, mm. which is why I've always been totally convinced that an amateur choir can sing a piece of music as beautifully if not more beautiful. I agree, because I sang in, in Belfast for years. There was a redoubtable woman called Miss Daphne Bell who ran the Ulster College of Music on Stephanie, a shoestring. There you are. She ran right. a shoestring. And there were more, I'm going to a concert in London, there were more children from her college who barely existed in the National Youth Orchestra than any other region from the UK at that yep. point. And she yep. had a magical group and she said, they need a bass. And I said, I don't want to do that. And she shoved me in. And it, I thought it was the best, I should think, 20, 30 years of my life singing really? in that group. Yeah. And I know, I know at some stage we used to go and bribe people with nice houses and say, we're going to come and sing for charity and sing the church the next day. And I know when we were good, it was absolutely wonderful yeah. because you yeah. could hear the music coming out and the, the thrill of knowing that you had somehow brought this music back. Mm. And because we were not full of ego, we just wanted yeah. to enjoy ourselves yeah. Yeah. and yeah. be a servant to the music. Yeah. 
And it's, uh, it's, uh, I know it's that a with, special sometimes quality. it was really special, really special. Has that died away? Has social media and iPhones and screens of all kinds, has it kind of killed it down a bit? Not totally, I don't think. No. I don't. I don't think so. Well, there are wonderful professional groups now who, who have that sort of esprit. I mean, really wonderful. I, I tell groups like you know, 16 and Virtues 8 and yeah. all those sort of people, Tenebrae. I know some of my colleagues would sing in London, but it's more difficult if you're in a larger place, I think, mm. where you've got to make an effort to go to a place to... And also you have to... But I'm going back... I'm going back before all of us were born, when you had to kind of make your own entertainment. Mm. So everybody in the room would sing or join in and sing. You you did it. Whether you sang well or not was different. Mm. Everybody would do things. And so the children would put up a sheet and say, announce a play and come on and do a play. And they'd made the clothes and things like that. That whole inventiveness, that participating in artistic inventiveness in music and in performance arts, seems to have dwindled away. But I yeah. haven't said that. People do stuff on TikTok where they invent oh, yeah. stuff and do it, film themselves doing something in the music. That's so that's the modern it's, equivalent. It's, it's a modern it? equivalent, I think. I mean, I don't know where people do party pieces of visitors coming out. As a child, I certainly was a reasonably clear piping voice. Mm-hmm. I had to sing. I had to sing one of Moore's melodies, you know. Yes. Believe me of all those endearing young charms. Oh, no. Oh. I love it when you say the words of these songs. We really must hear an excerpt from that. Say it again. What is it called? Who is it well, by? It's Thomas Moore. Uh, yes. Believe me of all those endearing young chants which I dwelt on so fondly today. Yes, and I can hear the music. Tell me tomorrow. You, but, uh, we, we'll find an excerpt. You might have to give me a three-ply tissue. <laughs> the tears flood forth. Well, I think it's one of the most divine tunes. It really divine, benign, wonderful melody. Joanna here. Maestro Stephen Barlow and I want to hear from you, our wonderful listeners. Send us your classical music questions, queries, and concerns through to hello at joannaandthemaestro.com and we'll get back to you on the programme. Thank you so much. So the transition, Sean, from news, because you, you were doing principally news. I was doing television news during the Troubles, really. Wow. wow. One just did it. The norm is where you are. Yeah. It became... I remember I hear once, I, I remember something happened in, in, in Radio 3, and they said, oh, my God, this is you know really, this is stressful. This is I mm-hmm. said, my Belfast newsroom when something goes wrong. But when it came to the broadcast, everybody knew what they were doing. So suddenly instant focus yes. and professionalism, and yeah. you just dealt with it like you would deal with anything else, even though things were tumbling all around. You were broadcasting from central Belfast as yeah. well, weren't you? You were right in the middle of it, I remember. We are in a temporary studio one day with a late... W.D. Flax, who was a political correspondent or something. It's just he and I, I think, and he had scripts and things sitting there. We were in a temporary studio on the ground floor and they'd left the doors open and a bomb went off around the corner. And the next thing, the whole studio sort of lifted. <gasps> and instead of run, run, you know, running, I just tried to catch all the bits <laughs> of script. And when it came back, we both looked rather weird. Somebody said, I thought my television had gone a funny colour, but it was actually all the dust. Oh, so I saw my asthma of dust in front of us all. You know, you went on because you went on. Yeah. It wasn't, oh, aren't you brave? It was none of that. 
No. It was just that's what you professionalism. Yeah, what you did. And I said that's the wonderful thing, I suppose, when, when when there is that sort of professionalism and trust that people have, you just know. This is quite good training for you now because your programmes are live and you yeah. have a lot of live performances. That's the extraordinary thing, isn't people, it? Live performers. And, and if yeah. I can say so in Mr Rafferty's presence, mm. artists actually adore doing in tune. Mm. They really love it. Mm. It's a mixture of informality with complete focus. Yeah. Well, I say to them, look, you can do anything you like as long as you don't libel anybody. <laughs> anything else is fine. Yeah. Yes, occasionally it floats very close to the line. Well, occasionally. <laughs> These me- I have rescued your music once. I hope yeah, oh, 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 no. It did take yes. me a while to, to it, notice, it, but still. It's quite brilliant. I was accompanying Mark Stone who you did lead a considerable way down the garden path. Well, he, listen, he is quite good at going down the garden path on his own. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they all say. I think I remember the title. Well, I think I do. Um, It was Andy Ferner Geliebte by Beethoven. Wonderful piece of music. Might have been Andy And it had six pages. And, of course, I, I can sometimes be a little bit scruffy. So I had to have all the pages, all of them, on the music stand. And some music stands are, are not great for six whole pages. And as I was playing, I think in page four, page six, it just yes. wobbled <laughs> in the air conditioning and then floated and I watched it go as I was playing, and it went further and further and further away, so I couldn't sort of get it with one hand. And it sat there and got to the bottom of page four, started on page five, and at which point I noted that Sean was studying the back of his envelopes. (laughs) (laughs) I was paying paying deep oral attention to the delights (laughs) that were coming my way. I noticed that he was not actually going to see me, even though I was flapping with my right hand, occasionally missing a note or two, trying desperately. And I got to the bottom line on page five and was thinking, I am going to have to stop the broadcast and say, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> and well, we must leave that very lovely piece of music. And finally, Mr. Rafferty noticed me waving and then I pointed at the music and he tiptoed over like a ballerina. I think I thundered over. I might even hit the side of the piano. (laughs) And just managed to get the page back. We like moments like that. (laughs) Someone once said, I was a pianist playing. She finished. I said, come and talk to me afterwards. And then finished. And I waved, waved wildly at her to come over. And she's, looked behind her and then pointed herself at me. (laughs) Isn't anybody else here? (laughs) How does it work? Do you do two weeks on, a week off? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes we do three weeks on and a week off. And you share it with? With lovely Katie Derham. So that's good. It means means actually one doesn't get jaded. I don't mean I would get jaded, but, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes just a little bit of break 
and then it's like refreshing. Do you devise the programmes? Or- yeah, we've got wonderful producers who do all, they work like demons, actually. They mm-hmm. do all sorts of other things. You know, they, they do morning stuff, they do documentaries. And so we'd maybe have three or four who'd be, at a time, who'd be on a sort of rotor. Of course, what they've got to do is look at what other music has been played on the station that day so we don't replicate things. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that depending on who the guests are playing, so if we get, you know, Boris Gilberg in the other day playing Chopin and Beethoven, you can't have somebody else playing the piano around that and you can't have a sort of a pianist or you've got people in singing, then you can't have another singer beside it, you know what I mean, or a small choral group, then it's just it's got contrast. And sometimes as we, they're brilliant at, at devising things and occasionally I get grumpy and say, no, really, you can't have that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes going through, you'll just feel, we need a sorbet, i.e., I will think we need Bach. Every now and again, I think just need Bach as a cleansing, mm-hmm. uplift. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just moments. So you've you got a production team of producers or, or Well, um, yeah, so the producers of the day and the researchers who are, who are booking the guests. So the, yeah, at yeah, the beginning, yeah. it was terribly difficult. Nobody, nobody wanted to come in, nobody wanted to perform. Isn't that Right at the beginning. And now I've got, they're wonderful. And what I, of course, is doing, seeing a lot of people coming back who I've you know, known over the years, and we get yeah. on incredibly well, and we have a... Sort of joyous time. That's there's no point, as I said. Tom, there's no point unless that is this is fun in the broader sense, unless it's pleasurable and great for everybody. Because none of your guests seems to be, none of them are nervous because they're chinter chuntering with you. Yeah. And the piano's there across the room, yeah. and you just say they're walking across the piano. So it all seems non-performancey, and they seem to be completely at ease. Well, Have you come across? Are. are they nervous? Is are anybody nervous? Oh, I think everybody. Everybody's a nervous yeah. a bit. I mean, some a people bit. say I find it difficult to talk and then go and yes, and play exactly. and go and perform. It's it's a changing. I don't know you find Steve, where it's a, a change of mood where you've got to you've got to get into a different zone. Obviously, of course yeah. it is. And every artist actually normally need time to get into a zone and concentrate. And if you think about artists before a performance, yeah. you are alone. Yes. in your dressing room for quite a patch of time to get into the zone. But the interesting thing is that everybody now understands the, understands the format. And secondly, I think they see the point of in tune, which is to gather listeners. Gather in. listeners, but also you, so you, so you get the opportunity to see the person behind the, the real, incredibly wonderful music the making. The real person. And you see they are interesting and warm and worth talking to and worth listening to. Yep. And I think everybody feels they know that they're a bit better and more like, I certainly feel like that, I'm more likely to go to a concert. And sometimes one is blown away, but I was just thinking, what did James Ennis, who is one of the great violinists on mm-hmm. this planet, and he came in and he said, you know, I just want to play something really wonderful for you today because I've been coming in for so long. And he did, you know, the Chicon, the Bach Chicon, mm-hmm. which is 12 minutes of incredibly yep. difficult solo violin. Yep. And I was undone at the end of it. Mm-hmm. I was undone. Yes. And I looked up through yes. the glass. Yes. People were just in pieces. You cannot know the moment where something is just going to totally bypass any resistance you've got. But it's very rare to have a programme that's as liberal as that. All the people come in from America and Europe and say, look, we've got interesting things going on, obviously, but there isn't anything quite like this on a daily basis that celebrates the live. And I mean, apart from the wonderful players that we know about, 
I find so exciting is the young people who come in and maybe it's the first time they've been heard and you know they've got something special. Yeah. And then they yeah. then they come back and I've you know seen so many people but 10 15 years ago who are now established and doing wonderfully mm. well and it's mm-hmm. a, it's a joy. It's yeah. a joy to see. Yeah, it. it's very special. I think it is genuinely unique. Do you have to do much research yourself? For your programs, you know, you do the usual. Yeah, I mean, it's very nice. We've got to search somebody who works the program day, looks after the guests, and they they will do sort of basic research stuff from me as well, Mm -hmm. and get that night before, so the night before and the next day. You know, you you, it's like anything else. It's just it's just uh, it's just good manners to know as much about the people who are coming in and what they're playing. But but it's more than this, isn't it, Sean? Because you've got a real, really encyclopedic knowledge of repertoire now. And I mean, I know you you perhaps shrink from such flattery. But no, I wouldn't. I, wouldn't. <clears throat> I can forget everything in a minute. No, no, no. no but no, the, but way the point we... is you then have a breadth of knowledge about classical music and what works and different ways of playing it, for goodness sake, which is quite extraordinary. You would be, though, an avid follower of classical music, even if you weren't oh, yes. doing this programme. Absolutely. I don't think you could do it otherwise. No. You know, you couldn't play, you couldn't conduct, you couldn't write. Joe, you couldn't do that, you couldn't perform. You couldn't. You'd be worn out, you'd be a husk. Absolutely. Uh, it's a replenishment. And I want to go, if I can, you know, people come in, I want to go and hear them hear them play and go and hear them sing. You know, you know, Covent Garden the other day, Tannhäuser, the wonderful Lisa Davidson with a voice there, yeah. with yeah. an angel with rapier power, first saw in Wexford and was just blown away. You know, and that's... Mm-hmm. These things, they refresh the spirit in such a basic way that mm-hmm. I don't understand why still people th- think music somehow, or music teaching in schools mm-hmm. is somehow an add-on. You know, it is not an add-on. It's a basic yeah. part of, yes, of yes, life yes. and should be part, part of everything. You know, if you're, I, I played very badly and I played the violin very badly in the Elster Junior Orchestra in the city of Belfast. I, it was bad, but to be in the middle of something and to hear it going, mm-hmm. you're never the same again once you've got an insight You've been allowed in there and you have a totally different appreciation yep. Yep. Of, of everything afterwards. And even, it doesn't matter if people are bad or they scrape or whatever, to have that opportunity at any level, I think, is just as essential. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There's one myth, isn't there, that in fact classical music is for a diminishing audience. And I, actually, my personal experience says the opposite, in that, it, if anything, there are more concerts of every type and there's an audience for ballet too, and art galleries are full of people. This is quite a dangerous one. And I mean, you, I know you're an avid concert goer. And wouldn't you attest to that, that in fact the enthusiasm for the arts is, if anything, wider and greater than it's ever been? Yes. It just doesn't maybe get enough assistance. It doesn't no, get enough assistance. No, it doesn't get enough assistance or enough priority. Because you're talking, you see, you came from a musical background. Your parents yeah. were both loved music and were musicians. Yeah. It's getting in. You know, it's you getting get, in. If you can't get in, and that's that's my big bugbear. That's why you should be is at it, schools, they should exactly. be getting in. That's why it should be at schools, because not everybody is musical and has a musical background any more than they have books on their shelves. But that's what school's Ooh. for. That's what school yeah. is for. They haven't got chemistry in their backgrounds. That's what school is for, to introduce them to these things. And I find it almost criminal for schools to be allowed to drop these things as add-ons or extras or peripheral. The young singers and choral groups, I was talking to someone today who's organising singers to go into schools, all the schools in Vauxhall. Mm. But they are actually doing what should be enshrined. Absolutely. The weight of responsibility has been thrown onto performers nowadays. 
So every orchestra does what it can, and opera houses, they do what they can, and wonderful charities like London Music Masters yeah. do what they can. They do, and they do a wonderful job. They do, oh, really. It, and it, sometimes, sort of unsung, people aren't saying these are amazing, enough saying these are amazing people, and that's what we should be doing. But then, you know, we've had inculcated into us, the practitioners, that it's our fault that it's not there. And we're exclusive, which, of course, is precisely... What you're not. Precisely what we're not now. There is not a young artist who doesn't yearn for a way to draw new audiences in. But they wouldn't say that about actors, or would they? Not really. No, 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 because because you see acting in... you can just get it on the television. You just switch it on yeah, and okay. somewhere on 87 channels, somebody's acting or you can download it or whatever and there are films since time began. There's something particular about music. You see, the thing is, any now here we are, anybody can act. <laughs> anybody can act and a clever editor can redeem a shocking performance. That's not so with music. You've kind of got to be good. It's got to be good if you're playing. And that immediately puts us into the area where people say, oh, it's elitist. If you've got to be good at it, oh, well, that's something very Of course, difficult. you don't have to be good at it if you're in school level. Exactly. But they say, if you've got to have an instrument, so for instance, a violin, that's an expensive. Oh, well, then that's for elitist people because not everybody can have a violin. They f- fight their way out of it so that music, mm. it's not art. People, all children are given paintbrushes yeah. and blackboards or bits of cardboard. They all make stuff with Play-Doh. They're all allowed to do creative artwork like that. They're all allowed to be in school plays and do things. But there's something about music where they patronise children and pretend that they won't get it. They can't possibly get it. It's not for you because it's too clever and too smart. And children, of course, pick things up like that. They have no prejudice. They have no particular prejudice. You can do anything and they, they can gauge with it. Yeah. And then you're in. And then you're in. And you're in. Yeah. Yep. And goodness, it's the most extraordinary thing, right? You know, talking about James Ennis playing something in the studio on Doing Assault, that happens all the time with music. I bet, you know, you'd go yeah. something yeah. like Mahler Resurrection Symphony. Well, the, the students was their f- final concert, Royal Academy of Music, so they were all young, a couple of, you know, a bit like Roddy Williams beefing up the choir. They were all young and they played as if they'd never seen it before. I had tears pouring down my face at the end because mm-hmm. it was just, it was so sublime and uplifting. If we're going to have tears pouring down your face again, well, <laughs> only because they're pouring down mine because we're coming to the end of this lovely broadcast. But I would just love to know what you think you would like to hear at the end of our show today. Ooh. Is, well, is that you, too huge? You know, we have to do this every episode ourselves. And actually, I, I'm really rather interested. But we I've been asked we invidious ask Invidious we didn't questions. ask Sean in advance. We didn't oh. say prepare something no, no, or have no, anything. No, 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 quite, but we never know. No. But I have been asked countless times to say what is the music that is most important to me, and we know the ridiculousness of it, but the question remains, what would you like this episode to finish on? <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm shocked to it. Yeah, yes. Very difficult. It's almost the last thing one heard. I've been mean, wonderful things recently. Joby Talbot's Path of Miracles, new choral work, sublime. Sublime, sublime, sublime with Tenebrae. James McMillan's 40-part motet, you know, echoing Talus's Feminalium. Hard to tell, anything from Wagner. Madrigals, which I sang for years and adored. But I just thought, if even if a bit of Bach, B minor, Mass, a summation of his powers, and the Sanctus and the Bach, B minor, Mass, that would gladden my the heart. The Sanctus, with excellent. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure. I was a bit scared, but it's been a pleasure.
been listening to Joanna and the Maestro, a cup and nozzle burning bright productions and Bauer media show. It's presented by me, Joanna Lumley, and my husband, Stephen Barlow. Our executive producers are Matt Everett, Graham Hodge, and Clive Tullow. The show is produced and edited by Hunter Charlton and Ben Tullow, and mix and mastering is by David Bloor. Our head of production is Rebecca Mills, our production manager is Sarah Anderson, and our production coordinator is Maxim Taylor. All music for the intros is supplied courtesy of Naxos Music UK. In this episode, you heard the following music. Believe me, if all those endearing young charms, written by Thomas Moore and performed by Vera Lynn. The record label was Decker, a division of Universal Music Operations Limited. Andy Ferner Geliebt, Opus 98, Fifth Movement, Es Keret der Mayen Es Bluhet die Au, written by Ludwig van Beethoven, and performed by Peter Schreyer and Andras Schiff. The record label was Decker Music Group Limited. Partita number no. 2, for violin solo in D minor, by Johann Sebastian Bach, performed by James Ennis. The record label was James Ennis. Mass in B minor, by Johann Sebastian Bach, performed by the Monteverdi Choir and the English Baroque Soloists, conducted by John Elliott Gardiner. The record label was SDG. All music for the intro is supplied courtesy of Naxos Music UK. Mozart's Exultate Jubilate K165, performed by Pretty Coles, Camerata Casovia, and conducted by Johannes Wildner, licensed courtesy of Naxos Music UK Limited.